Today I wanted to, as we continue in our series on the book of Colossians, this, this letter that was written to this church that was facing some, some challenges, facing some alternative options, I want us to think about uh, this question, what are you captivated by? What are you captivated by? What, what draws your attention, your focus, your interest? Because the Colossians are dealing with, with some things that are, they seem interesting, they seem captivating. And, and Paul goes so far as to say that they, they have the potential to not just captivate, but to capture them. And as we read this text, I want to warn you that, that you could be tempted to read this and think about those people, those people and their problems, and say, well, you know what, we're better, we're more sophisticated, you know, we've got technology, I've got an iPhone, and, and this is not really something that I'm susceptible to. But the reality is, whatever things have changed about humanity, we still find ourselves slaves to sin apart from Jesus Christ. And we still find ourselves to be at our core people who desire to be captivated by something. We, we are open vessels to receive. And the question is, are we going to receive from God and be captivated by Him? Or are we going to seek that in other things? So we're going to read out of Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. Uh, and I'm going to ask you to stand together. We're going to read this out loud together. It's a longer text, and hopefully we'll, we'll make it out alive. This is Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross." He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we consider your word, that Jesus would loom large. That we would see with fresh eyes and a fresh appreciation how absolutely supreme and better is Jesus. And God, at the same time, I pray that you would open our eyes, that you would shine a light on our areas of darkness, and that you would bring to light those things that have captivated us, to which we have given ourselves over, so that we might turn and embrace Jesus. 
God, I pray that you would help us to be humble before your word, not to immediately disregard it as, as valuable to someone else. But God, would you help us to apply this word to our own lives? Would help me to apply this word to my life. And God, we pray that as we think about the greatness of Jesus Christ, that we would be encouraged, that we'd be renewed in our faith, that we would have a new sense of stability and confidence in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that nothing else would draw us away from that. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. What are you captivated by? Paul here is talking to the Colossians, and he, he just finished saying, Therefore, as you received Jesus Christ, your Lord, so walk in him. And we talked about that. Be established and rooted in the gospel, the gospel that you received from us, this tradition that he talked about in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 2. They had received a, an oral testimony that came probably from Epaphras, who received it probably from Paul, who received it from who? Jesus. And this was not just hearsay or gossip. This was the way that this sort of information was, was imparted to a person. It was transmitted as a tradition, something to be cherished and kept and held. In the early church, uh, there was this guy named Polycarp who uh, had been trained by, I don't remember the name, but he, he was two generations removed from John the, Bap or, uh, John the Apostle. And he became a bishop in the church, and there was persecution, and the church of God wanted to protect Polycarp. Why? Because he held, what? The tradition. He was an authoritative source of the gospel tradition. Now, we have the tradition in, in the word of God, but, but they had received it by oral tradition. And so we see here that, that Paul has said, you guys received this tradition. Cherish it, receive it, be established in it, stand on it, be rooted in it. The good news about the life and death in Jesus Christ and, and all that he represents and all that he is in fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament, hold tightly to him. And he says this because there are false teachers in the church who are trying to present some alternative realities. And so he says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Now in the original language, the, the way that it's said is it's by the philosophy, the philosophy and empty deceit. So he's not just saying philosophy is bad. right? If you majored or minored in philosophy, you, you didn't major or minor in wickedness necessarily. Right? There are good philosophies, there are bad philosophies, there, there, everyone has a thought, a system of thought, and that's really what, what is represented by that word philosophy. In, in the Greek, it really is love of wisdom, and if you've been paying attention, you know that Paul loves wisdom, right? I pray that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in what? All wisdom and understanding, right? That you might increase in the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He desires that the people of God would be filled with knowledge and wisdom, but there's a kind of philosophy, there's a brand of philosophy that he finds to be bad. And what is that? Well, it's this empty and deceitful philosophy. He calls it an empty deceit. Empty meaning vacuous and meaningless, jargon for the sake of jargon. 
You know, I remember being, for better or worse, and don't be offended if you're, I, I was a tech guy. And I grew up as a tech guy. I was interested, like I was learning C++ in like sixth grade. And not because I'm super smart, but because I, my dad was into computers and I didn't have any friends apparently. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I had friends, but uh, I mean, this was before they even standardized libraries. And if you know what I'm talking about, you were in the same boat. You were also a nerd. Um, I remember learning these things and becoming a, a technical person, going in, studying computer science and, and going into the field. And I remember going and working at certain government organizations and listening to people. And there were some people who could talk about technology and you knew what they were saying. And there are some people who could talk about technology and you knew that they knew a lot of buzzwords. But at the end of the day, if you could kind of ring out what they said and put it in a bowl, it would be empty. And sometimes, like, if again, we live in a tech, in, many of you are in the technology sphere, and you can read, like, the, the, the sales brochure for such and such product, and it's like, we'll help you ultimately uh, uh, finalize your, your system and processes in such a way that, that all things, and it's buzzword after buzzword after buzzword, and at the end of the day, you have no idea what they said. You have no idea what this product does. And you find out, oh, it's, it's really just a glorified spreadsheet database. You know, but it has an online, you can get to it from your house or something, something like that. That, that is what, what empty means. You have these teachers who, who presented themselves as very knowledgeable, very wise, very jargon rich. But when it came to what really could be brought to bear and be beneficial for their lives, it was empty. But it wasn't just empty, it was deceitful, full of that which leads people astray. When the Bible talks about the word deceit, um, it talks about things like, like wealth. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 22, uh, it talks about for false Christs and false prophets will rise and lead people astray in order to, to get money, I believe. We'll keep going. Desire in, in Ephesians chapter 4. Desire leads us astray. And it's deceitful. 4.22. It says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. And is corrupt through what? Deceitful desires. Sin. In Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13. It says this. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When he talks about deceit. He talks about things like the desire for wealth. Desire itself. Sin. These are things that are deceitful. And so there was something that was both empty and deceitful about this philosophy that they were teaching, and it was ultimately contrary to the word of truth, the, the gospel, right? The, the word of truth, the philosophy of Christianity, if I could put it that way, it, it's called the power of God for salvation in Romans 1, right? I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to both the Jew and the Gentile, 
right? The gospel, the good news, this, this narrative reality of God entering into humanity, enter in, entering into the creation he made, and, and bringing restoration, uh, uh, revelation of himself, new life. <clears throat> it is not empty. It is full of God's power. And it is not vacuous. It is the word of truth. In Colossians chapter 1, we heard this. He, he, uh, Paul is praying and he's saying, you know, he's saying, I thank God because you, uh, you believe in the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of, and of this you heard before in what? The word of truth. What? The gospel. The gospel, the good news is the word of truth. It is full of truth. It evidences reality. It doesn't, it's not making stuff up. But they were tempted to believe a philosophy that was empty and deceitful. He goes on and he describes it as being according to human tradition, not according to the tradition of Christ. So he uses that word tradition, right? And, and in verses 6 and 7 last week, I tried, to, I tried to make the point that they were receiving not just some good information, but it was this technical reality of receiving a tradition. You know, the baton was being handed over. Now, in contrast to that tradition, he says they are being tempted to receive what's called a human tradition. And if you remember Jesus and his ministry, one of the things he did not like about the Pharisees is that they would give up the tradition of God and implant the tradition of, of men. Right? They would say, you know, your, your vow doesn't matter, but if you vow to give money to, to the, the church or to the, to the temple, you better do it. They, they would make up rules. They would say, you know, if you decide you want to serve in this capacity, you don't any longer have to honor your father and mother. And they made up traditions. They made up rules and regulations that had nothing to do with what God had said. And so Paul, it's possible that he's keying off of that, that, that reality that the people in Colossians, or the people in Colossae were, were receiving human traditions. We know, and we'll talk about this more next week, but we know that that the nature of the temptation that they were facing had some Jewish elements, right? Some Old Testament rites and rituals, right? We're going to believe that Jesus is, is good, but also you need to kind of obey some of the laws of the Old Testament, some of the ritualistic laws that really were intended to point to Jesus. But there was also this, this alternative kind of um, secret, mysterious uh, Gnostic, if you want to look it up, pieces that potentially that, that was also being involved. So, so you have the, the rules and regulations and human tradition, and you have the empty and deceitful piece, and it was all coming together, and they were being tempted to believe these things. Um, the problem with these, these things is they don't work. You know, I've got, I've got three kids, and, and I will tell you, you know, there are some babies in the room. Pro tip, one of the best toys you can give a kid is the plastic keys, Right? They have not changed, right? The guy who made plastic keys in the 1950s, he's like, these are it, these are the ones, and they're the same, and they're awesome. Like, and if you're a dad, you end up playing with them too because you're like, oh, these are cool, plastic keys, awesome. Uh, you know, they, they, they look like keys, you can bite them, um, and, and your toddler can, toddler can feel like he or she is in charge, right? It's, it's fun. Um, but it's funny because inevitably... Once your toddler gets big enough, they're, they're going to take that key and they're going to try and open the car door or they're going to try and open the, the house door and they're going to be sorely disappointed, right? 
Hopefully, you know, hopefully they don't make it into the keyhole because then you got a whole other problem. I, I can't, I imagine that that's happened in the history of children, but uh, by and large, they will be disappointed. They don't have the real thing, and so it just won't work. When we try to unlock our lives according to human tradition, it's like trying to open a door with plastic keys. It just won't work. The, the problem, though, is, is whereas with the toddler, all that's at stake is their sense of control in our lives. When we try to do that, there's much more at stake. They were working to live their lives according to another tradition other than the gospel. He goes on and he says this other statement. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, dot, 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 according to the elemental spirits of the world. Now, you, if you have a different, this is that of the English Standard Version. There are other versions, NIV, you know, King James, New King James. And they'll have slightly different renderings of this phrase because it's kind of opaque, it's kind of difficult to understand, and there are a number of different options of what it could mean, but, but to the best of my knowledge, the way that we can understand this is that um, the elemental spirits of the world most likely referred to the physical elements that make up the world. So they, Paul was saying, don't be swayed by any sort of philosophy that, that tries to, to elevate creation, Right? Earth, air, fire, because these were things that 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 phrase was used to represent. Now it re- represented some other things because not only was it the, the earth and the fire, and and but as people were talking about these things, these elemental spirits of the world, they they began to ascribe almost deistic or, or godlike qualities to it. Right, the water. You think about the sea. You can imagine someone looking at the sea and thinking, "Wow, the sea is powerful. Water is powerful." And then the very easy step, water is a God, right? There's some spiritual realities behind it. And so he's saying, don't be held captive by any sort of philosophy that tries to elevate this this creation world or any elements of creation to the level of ultimate reality. God is our only ultimate reality. God is our only God and everything else is part of creation. Everything else is, is subject to God. The Colossians were saying that um, they were relating to this material world in, in such ways to ascribe godlike authority and power to aspects of it. Rather, rather than looking at, at, the, at the waves and at the, the, the lightning and the storm and saying, oh my goodness, there must be an amazing creator God behind this. They were saying, oh my goodness, this must be our God. Um, and, and we'll see this more in, in verse in, in verse 20 of this chapter, it says, If with Christ you died to this, these elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And so there's something about, and he goes on, do not touch, do not ter- taste. So there was something about the way that, that these false teachers were teaching, that they were encouraging people to relate to the physical world in a non-biblical, non-Christian way. So what does this have to do with us? Well, they were elevating creation. They were elevating elements of human tradition. They were elevating, elevating, elevating things outside of the gospel to a sense of gospel priority. They were gathering, they were receiving a sense of righteousness and rightness 
from things outside of the gospel. You know, when I was in, uh, in college, <clears throat> there was a church down the road where everything looked right. These people were moral, and by that I mean they, they pursued uh, outward morality. They, they had church service, and uh, they purported to worship God. But one of the things that they taught was that salvation came by faith and baptism. Right? It, just a little tweak. And there are texts that you can look in the Bible, and it says you'll be saved if you, know, if you believe and are baptized. And so they had their, their biblical proof text. Now, we believe, just to be clear, that you're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And that baptism is a, an outward expression. It's, it's a thing that you do in obedience to God as a way of saying that I have put my faith in Christ. Even those who believe in, 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 believe in, in, in pedo-baptism, in infant baptism, they believe it not to be salvific, but to be an expression of the fact that these children are part of our covenant community that is established, what, by faith in Christ alone. And so this church, if I can call it that, was teaching you can be saved by faith in God, by what Jesus did, also, though, by what you do. And it seems, you know, if you're a college kid and you're not paying a lot of attention, you can, you can get convinced of this easily. There are other streams of, of religious groups that, that would call themselves Christians that will say things like, you can be saved by, by, by faith in Jesus and going to church on this day of the week. If you don't go to church on this day a week, you're not a real believer. Right? They may not say you have to be saved to, uh, by, by going to church on this day a week, but they'll say if you don't go to the church on this day a week, you're not saved. Right? So that becomes a, a mark and a, and a, and a moment and, a, and a, a standard of salvation. And you see that they are defining themselves according to what human traditions. But let me poke around a little bit more. Um, let me firstly say that properly stewarding your body is an important and godly responsibility. Right? You have been given purpose in this world. God has given you a body. You are not just a spirit. You, you know, we, are, we are psychosomatic. That means we are connected in our, our, our body, our soul. And some of us... Um, but some of us, in an effort not to, not to steward, not to do all that we can to honor God with our body, but in, or in an effort to find wholeness in our life, to define righteousness in our life, we treat diet and exercise like a functional savior. And we joke about this, right? We joke sometimes because there, there are certain diet routines and certain exercise things where that, that's what defines that person. And I'm not going to name names or, or types, but they're, you know, you're like, I'm this kind of person. I do these things. This is who I am. And, and this idea of diet or exercise becomes, right, elevating what I do with my body to a place of providing a sense of righteousness and salvation. 
And maybe you wouldn't say, you know, does this save me from hell and the grave? You would say no. But at the same time, there is a sense in which you are finding and drawing a self-righteousness from this. And, and sometimes you are judging others on that basis. And I say that because we are prone to this. And I, I want to point out the fact that, that this, this letter is not just for those people over there. And I'm sure there are other examples of this for those of us who, who don't struggle with exercising or, or being as, as careful on our diet. And it's not bad. It's good to exercise. It's good to, to, um, to be careful about what you eat and to try and pursue these things for the sake of righteousness. But, but it's just a small shift if we're not careful. This is the way that, that functional saviors work. They go from being good things to turning into God things. Right? It's good to be baptized. It's, God commands it, but it is not salvific. It's good to go to church on a consistent basis, but it's not good to say that if I do this on this day, that's what saves me. Ultimately, they were doing things that were not according to Christ. And if, if none of that other stuff resonated with you, I'm sure that there are things in your life that are done not according to Christ. And he says, guys, don't be held captive. He doesn't just say, you know, these things are interesting and we can dabble in them. But he says, no, they're going to try and capture you. They're going to try and keep you. They're going to try and take you. They're going to try and imprison you. Don't be held captive. We need to be held captive by whom? By Christ. Right? That's one long explanation of a verse. And we're going to power through the rest. He goes, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled in him who is the head and rule of all authority. So he goes and he says, you know what, guys? I see that there are, there are some realities and there are some temptations that you have to trust in other things. But let me tell you, Jesus is good. He's good enough. In fact, he's, he's all, all deity, all God is in him. Right? Do you want to know God? You don't need this other stuff. Go to the one in whom all, all the fullness of deity dwells. Do you want to know God? You don't have to do these other things. You don't have to pursue these other alternatives of, of righteousness. Go to the source. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells. And he says, and you know what, guys? Not only that, but he doesn't dwell far away, but, but you have been filled in him. And who have you been filled in? In him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, he's, he's making that point because as we are going to find out, there was something weird about uh, they began to even worship and elevate the, the, the role of angels. right? So they were began to take this spirituality train and just ride it into another area. And he's saying, guys, before you go and do that, don't worship substandard things. Angels are substandard. Worship the God who, has been, who is, you've been filled with, who is the head of all rule and authority. I quote often... Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, and he, and he says in, in verse 21, um, he, he's, he's praying and he's asking that they would, they would know this God. Um, and, and he says in verse 19, and he, that we would know what these immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great work that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and what seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Right? Paul is saying, I want you guys to know the power that's available to you. 
And what power is it? It's the same power that, that raised Jesus from the dead. But it didn't just raise him from the dead. It raised him from the dead and kept him raising him until he was above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, right now, in you know, the, the year 60 or 70 AD, but throughout all ages. Right? There is not an age during which Jesus is not supreme. And so here in Colossians, he's saying, you've been filled with him who is the head and authority over all rule and authority. Christ is better. If you receive the gospel, you don't need more things to get to God. God is with you. I'll repeat that. If you received the gospel, if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't need anything else to get to God. Right? You don't need anything else to build a bridge of reconciliation between you and God because Jesus is that bridge. You don't need to extend that bridge. You try to extend the bridge, you break the bridge. <laughs> Jesus is enough and he is with you. In Matthew 28, Jesus, one of the things he says to the disciples that, that has application in our life is that I will be with you to the ends of the age. You know, Go make disciples and I will be with you. The fullness of deity dwells in him and it dwells in us. What do we need to do if we feel far from God? We don't need to add stuff. We don't need to create our... How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you, when you feel down, when you feel sad, maybe, maybe you've messed up, you've sinned, how many of you are tempted to, to do things? Is it, is it at that point when you, you mess up that you're like, I need to clean my house? Right? I need to go church. You know, let me go talk to Debbie and see if I can serve at the church. Please come serve, but please don't do that as a, as a way of reconciling yourself with God. <laughs> right? We don't believe in penance, we believe in repentance. You know, penance says I have to do these things in order to kind of get to a place of rightness with God. Repentance says I'm going to turn away from the bad things and I'm going to trust in who? Jesus. We have the fullness of deity in us and we can draw near to him and he will draw near to us. He goes on and he says this in verse 11. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What? Basically what Paul is saying, in the Old Testament, if you don't know what circumcision is, go ask your mom. Um, and, but in the Old Testament, it was, it was a, a way, it was a physical manifestation of membership in the body of Christ. Right? Those who were part of God's people were literally marked. Blood was shed and something was cut off as a way of saying, these are my people. And Paul is saying that is a picture of what God does to our sin in Christ. He cuts it off. And, and when we come to Christ, the power of sin is cut off. And when we die, the presence of sin will be cut off. And he says, in Christ, you have victory over sin. Prior to Christ, we can do nothing but sin. Because everything that we do is, is marred and affected by our rebellion against God. You know, if you have little kids, uh, a lot of my analogies are about little kids. Um, and, and those little kids get into something, right? They get into mud or something, and they come into the house. There's nothing that they can touch that will be clean, Right? Even if, let's be honest, most kids, even if they haven't gone outside, anything that they touch is not clean. 
just by nature of children. And I love children. They're just not clean. That, that's who we are apart from God. There's nothing that we touch apart from God that is clean or good or right. You know, you could build a hospital apart from God and it is not clean and good or right in the sense that, that in relation to God, we are still in rebellion. Now, it may be beneficial, and, and I'm thankful for that, and God uses that. That's called common grace when God restrains, restrains evil and he, he brings blessing through unbelieving people. But as it relates to God, it is still in rebellion. But in Christ, we've been circumcised and we can say no to sin and yes to righteousness. In Christ, we have power over sin. Right? That's, that's the lie that, that if, if you struggle with sin, and we all do, that we are tempted to believe. And I can't beat this. I can't stop X. Or I, I, I have to do Y. And, and Paul is saying, no, 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 you've been circumcised in Christ. You, you can say no. He goes on and he says in verses 12 and 13, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. We have new life in Christ. We're identified in the burial of Christ so that we might identify with him in new resurrection life. As I said, some of you have this mentality, if you're in Christ, you, you may still be tempted to think, I can't. But everything about the nature of Christ says, I can. Not, not just I can like manifest a, a Lamborghini here, but I can abide by God's will. You know, ah, oh, I, I, I can't with this ki kid. No, you can. I can't with, with this, this employer. You can. I can't with my spouse. You can. I can't with this, this situation in the world. No, you can. Because we have new life. And it's not just any sort of life. This is resurrection life that brought Jesus from the dead. And what did I say? Lifted him up until he was far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every age. You can. Paul wants to tell you that if you're in Christ, you have new life. You don't just, we're not just, this is not a self-help book to make you 10% better. Right? This is not, this is not, we're not tweaking your life. This is not a life hack. As great as those things are, you know, Let's batch all our activities and save 10 minutes of our time. Great. That's not what the gospel is. You are a new creation in Christ with life and vitality and vigor. And part of the reason we have that is because we have been forgiven. He says he's forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You, if you're in Christ, are forgiven. I'll repeat that. If you're in Christ, you are forgiven. Not you will be forgiven. Not you're forgiven of some of the stuff. But the other stuff, you got to, you know, go talk to Debbie. You got to do some work. Not you got to, you know, make sure you show up on Sunday and Wednesday and you walk the lady across the street so you can make up for this. No, you are forgiven. Because he took that record, right? If I was holding a scroll and it was like, whoosh, here's all of Eddie's sins. It's a big scroll. 
there's some more in the back. God took that and he nailed it to the cross. And, and, and by that, it's not just, oh, he nailed it to the cross and like, cool, now it's on the cross. No, he nailed it to the cross as though it was Christ's record. And that was what he was suffering for. God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean except that God took our record, nailed it to the cross, and subjected Jesus to the wrath that we deserve? We have forgiveness. And finally, he says we have victory over our enemies. He's disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Before salvation, we are enslaved by the, the, the God of this world. And again, this, for, for many of us, this sounds a little hokey, right? Because the world doesn't believe in, in supernatural stuff. Or if it does, it's like, well, maybe in your head. Like, you can have supernatural beliefs, I can have supernatural beliefs, but we're not going to actually believe in objective demons. We're not going to actually believe that there, there are forces that are, like, in charge of things. But the Bible, that's the worldview it represents. It presents. And in Ephesians 2, it says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Apart from Christ, you and I, we, we are willingly and happily enslaved to demonic forces. Again, I, that's, that's what, that's the truth. Like, this is why we need, we, this is why we don't just need like, hey, you know, let's, let's be 10% better. No, we are, we are woefully sinful and woefully enslaved. And he says that God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Right? You don't have to believe the lies that you've been told, many of which have they're not just your thoughts. You don't have to believe, you know, I'm never going to do X. I'm never going to be good enough. No one could love me. I'm always going to be this. I'm always going to struggle with that. Those are lies. And family, some of those lies, most of those lies, don't have origin in just your own subconscious. I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it's a lie, just don't believe it. But, but part of the power that is available to us is to say no, right? Satan is called the father of lies. And he loves to lie. He loves to tell us things that aren't true. You could never be a good enough father. You could never amount to anything. You could never be a good enough mother. You're never going to be free. These are lies. And when you hear those things, you don't just say, well, you know, and, and reason with them and, and try to reconcile and say, well, you know, sometimes that's true, sometimes it's No. You have new life in Christ, and God has authority over those lies. And he says no. God says no. God, your father, says no. How many of you, when you were on the, on the playground, you know, someone said something like, you know, I'm going to beat you up or whatever, and you said, you don't know my dad. You don't know my dad. Some of you, you don't know your own dad. 
We have victory over our enemies. Not because, not because we're the biggest kid on the, on the playground, but because <laughs> dad is right behind us. In the final, in the final analysis, Christ, is, he's so much better. He's so much better, guys, than anything you or I or, or this expert or that uh, self-help person or that talk show host or, or that, that uh, influencer could ever conjure to bring wholeness and forgiveness and vitality to your life. Don't, don't fool yourself, family. We were open vessels to be captivated. And, and, and just because the things you hear don't have a religious bent doesn't mean that they don't have spiritual and religious implications. Right? The world is constantly presenting a philosophy, constantly presenting a, a worldview to take and believe, constantly saying this is your greatest problem and this is your greatest solution. And we have to be vigilant and I don't know if it's true. I've heard it isn't true, but, but that uh, when, when you know, the FBI or whoever does this researches to find out the difference between counterfeit and the reality, they don't study the counterfeits, but they study the reality. Like, I don't know if that's actually true. I think they do study the counterfeits pretty heavily. But when it comes to counterfeit philosophies, you don't have to study every other philosophy. You can, you can focus on Jesus. And, and, and I would encourage you, this, this is the picture that I need, and this is the picture that you need. I think it was in the 90s. When, when did the movie Twister come out? I don't know why would, someone would know that. Oh, I love that movie. Let me talk about Twister. All I know and remember from that is this ridiculous moment where there was a Twister. Surprise, surprise. Uh, and one of the characters, they took a belt and that was going to work, right? Sure, it doesn't cut them in half, but whatever. Uh, but it, and they, they belted themselves to this pole. And the twister came, and they're like, you know, special effects and feet everywhere flying around. And they weren't battered against the bar. I don't know. Movie magic. And they, they made it out alive. That is our life. That is your life, family. Get your belt out and belt yourself up to Christ because a twister's coming. All right? God is good. Jesus is good. And unlike that movie, he is a refuge, a real refuge. And he is able, in part, not just because he's strong enough to hold you, but because he's taken the blows himself. The, the difference between the picture in that movie Twister and, and in our life is that compared to anything we might feel in terms of turbulence, Jesus has borne the brunt of it. He doesn't just stay there and make it stable for us. He absorbs the blow. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for our God, the second person of the Trinity. And God, I thank you for, for your love for us as a father who adopts us as children. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit who indwells us, who fills us with the deity of Christ. 
not to make us God, but to bring your presence to, to abide in us as a temple. God, I pray that you would, you would quicken our faith, that we would trust in you, God, that we would identify those things that we've trusted in as our own markers of righteousness, our own ways of trying to make ourselves right. God, not that we would stop doing right things, but we would stop doing right things as a way of earning our right. God, I pray that you'd make us a holy people who still walk in humble adoration and appreciation for what you've done for us. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've received this testimony, but you've never trusted in it, today's the day. If that's you, I'd love for you to raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. There's nothing in ma magical in raising your hand. It's just an, an expression of what God is doing in your heart. Great, once that hand is up, you can put it back down. Just pray with me. God, I want to trust in you and not trust in me. I want to acknowledge you and I want to, I want to know you. Turn away from everything I know to be sin and trust in you. Thank you for new life. Thank you for new strength. Thank you for victory over sin and our enemy. Help me to walk this out in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, family.